This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Marcus Sheridan. Marcus is an international keynote speaker and the author of the books They Ask You Answer and The Visual Sale. He is called a web marketing guru by the New York Times. They Ask You Answer is a story how Marcus Sheridan was able to save his swimming pool company, River Pools, from the economic crash of 2008 and has been featured in multiple books, publications, and stories around the world. Marcus, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Nick, man, great to be here. We're going to have a good time. We are indeed. So the one question I ask every single guest before we get started is what's one thing that people might not know about you? So maybe a crazy, interesting fact. Let me see one. I'll give you a couple. I speak Spanish quite fluently. I lived in Chile for a couple of years. I still haven't spoken, though, in South America as a speaker, which is a tragedy. And uh, I would say the other thing is I am so into condiments that I have a refrigerator just for condiments in my house. It's an <laughs> emphasis on hot sauces, I might add. Okay, yep. so if you were to pick one last condiment to put on a special sandwich or a dinner of your choice, what would it be? Well, if you said you have one condiment that the only one that you could choose in the yep. world, yep. it would probably end up being like a traditional like Texas Pete or Frank's or a very vinegar-based hot sauce because it has the greatest range of application. If you said, you're just going to eat French fries the rest of your life, I'm just going to have ketchup. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're just sandwiches, I'm going to have mayonnaise. But when, uh, now, different types of mayonnaise, we could go on and on about that. That being said, I have at least probably like a dozen hot sauce types in my house, probably a dozen types of barbecue sauce in my house. Like, very aggressive, man. Take it seriously, bro. That is aggressive, and and I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> so tell my listeners, for those who have not a chance to take a peek of your book, They Ask, You Answer, what's the book about? It's really, if you boil it down to its essence, it's an obsession with the way buyers think, really. A lot of people, companies say, yeah, we're pretty obsessed with our buyers, but are you really? Because if you obsess over your buyers, the way they think, and their questions. It opens up a world that most companies are not currently a part of, (laughs) frankly speaking. Because if you said to any organization, let's say, okay, I want you to write down the 25 most asked questions that people ask about your product in your particular industry. And then you say to them after they've done that brainstorm of those 25, how many are answered really well on your website right now? Here's what you're going to find, less than 10, oftentimes less than five. And that is a problem, especially because of this shift in the informed consumer, the informed buyer, this idea that they're 70 to 80% through the buying cycle before they even talk to a salesperson, which still to this day, Nick, what's crazy is there's a lot of sales teams that think, yeah, you know, we handle, you know, 60, 70% of the sales. It's like, 
you are living in la-la land if you think that's the case. And I'm a sales guy at heart, and that is just not the reality. If we look in the mirror, we all will agree that, yes, we are more engaged in vetting companies and products and services and brands and learning about them before we actually meet them or walk through their doors than we've ever been in the history of the world. And that's not going to slow down. And it's now more than ever. And like you just said, it's not going to slow down. And so it's funny every time that I go creep on some product on Amazon, I'm taking other people's information and I have no idea who they are, but I am taking their their recommendations and their stars into consideration based off of my buying habits. And so I think it's really interesting. So I, I want to walk through the book. I I showed you earlier all the questions I had, and I know we don't have time for all of them. So I, I picked out a handful of my favorites and we'll, okay. we'll dig into it. So you kind of talked about at the very beginning, like what everybody thinks that they're doing a goodish job, but why do people think, why do businesses think that they're special? It's really, it's interesting. And it's one of the, I think, great divides of success in the digital age, Nick. The businesses that think they're special and they're different, are the ones that are having the least amount of success online. And of course, one might say, well, why is that? Because I've always been told that, you know, it's critical that we, that we know that we're different. Yeah, but your buyers fundamentally are the same. And human psychology doesn't really change across the board. All buyers, regardless of industry, B2B, B2C, service product, big, small, local, national, doesn't matter. They have questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns. And generally, they're very similar. You just change the product or service name. How much does it cost? What could go wrong with it? What's the best version of it? Right? Like these are the things that we want to know. These are the things that we want to search. And what's so wild is that companies just tend to not want to address these things because they say, well, you don't understand my buyer, you don't understand my industry. And that is the single belief that prevents more companies from doing something great online than maybe any other right now. They're still living in 1995, the year before the internet exploded. They're still thinking that today's buyer is dumb. They're not. They might start off uninformed, Nick, but daggone it, they're going to get there. So the great question is, okay, do you want to be the one that's informing them? Or do you want your competitors or some third-party site to be the one? I don't know about you, but I want to own the freaking conversation. I want to dominate it. I want them to feel like everything they learned, whether it's about swimming pools or about content marketing or whatever that thing is, they learned from me. That's the idea. That's the goal. And the goal isn't also just to push out content and say, hey, I got a hundred thousand words on, on my website, but it's the value and education behind it, right? Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, people say, so what's the focus, quality or quantity? I'm like, the focus is both. And that's yes. reality because you, you won't find companies today that build a website tomorrow that produce one, let's say, great piece of content a month, make major headway. Sorry, this doesn't generally ever happen. At the same time, you can produce, as you know, a hundred not so great pieces of content per month, and you're also not going to make headway. And so the idea is that you are very serious about, hey, we're going to be the best teachers in the world. It starts with obsessing over 
the questions, worries, fears, concerns, issues of our buyers, the willingness to address that through text, through video, on our site. We have people on staff. That's what they do full-time. They're not wearing 57 other hats. They're the ones that own this. This is what they eat, sleep, drink, you know what, all day long. This is what they do. I love the word that you just mentioned, obsessed. I I met somebody when I lived in Illinois and they were a foot doctor and he said that he had a healthy obsession over feet. But to bring it back to the question is why should companies obsess over their customers? The ones that don't, they start to separate themselves from the buyer. They don't even realize it. There's this delta between them and the buyer because they're not tapped in to those fears, to those concerns. If you are really allowing the buyer to be that compass by which you make major decisions upon, rarely are you ever led astray. Now, somebody might say, oh, Steve Jobs didn't, he didn't say, hey, buyer, you know, what do you want? But actually, he did. He understood around the turn what we wanted as buyers before many buyers realized that's what they wanted. So either way you shake it, it's this obsession with the way they think. And the, this willingness to not ignore. If you're constantly thinking about the buyer and you're obsessed with them and their feelings, you're like, okay, sure, we're a B2B service-based business, but that doesn't mean they're not asking us about cost and price. That doesn't mean that we can just sit there and ignore it. We need to figure out how to address it how to teach them about value in our industry, how to teach them what drives cost up and down and explain why some companies are expensive, why some companies are cheap. Sure, yeah, we can address cost and price in our industry even though we're a B2B service-based business because yeah, we know that's what our buyers want to know. That's an obsession. That's what we mean by obsession. Yeah, I love that. And one thing that you were doing at the very beginning when you first started it, when you started selling those fiberglass pools, you realize that your job was all about answering and or educating your customers and providing the answers to those questions. So why don't customers do the same thing? Why so, don't companies do the same yeah, thing? I apologize. So, so it's, for, you know, in the book, we talk about ostrich marketing and we think like an ostrich, if we just put our head in the sand and we don't talk about it, that either they won't ask us or if they do ask us, at least at that point, we're face-to-face and we're in control of the conversation. That's completely contradictory to the digital buyer of today. It just does, they just don't align, right? So there's that. There's also this idea that we have the secret sauce when we don't, right? There's this idea that we'll scare them away if we're honest. In fact, what scares people away is ignorance in 2021 and beyond in the information age. That's what scares us away, ignorance. When we aren't told, we're shown, or isn't discussed, or it's not addressed. That's what scares us away, right? The other reason why you don't see companies doing it is because they still treat marketing as the redheaded stepchild of the organization. And they say, okay, yeah, sure, I got 15 salespeople and I got a you know, 30 million, $40 million company, but one person in marketing. What the heck? Seriously? <laughs> You are not going to make headway like that because I can assure you that person doesn't have the time to do it. And then they say, okay, well, we'll outsource it. For the love of all that's pure and holy. Do you think, do you think that you should be outsourcing 
what is the soul of your business, those front end experiences that they're having with your product, with your service, as they learn about it, they're learning about it from some ghostwriter that is who knows where they're at. They don't know your company from Adam and Eve, but yet they're talking about what makes you great. No, you, 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 you understand your business better than anybody else. Doesn't mean you as the owner, as the CEO or whomever, doesn't mean you're the one writing the article or cutting the video, but it does mean that you realize, hey, this is our conversation to own. And so we're going to make sure we've got the people in place to be able to tell and show our story. Yeah, you mentioned something about outsourcing your marketing or your content. What you say in the book is we don't have, what do you, what do you hear when you say, when somebody says, we don't have time for, to have all of our customers or our employees write content. We just don't have time for it. So we're either going to give it to one person or we're going to give it to an outsourcer so that they can do it. What's your response to that? just crazy because when you hear that, we don't have the time. What they're actually saying is it's just not that important to us. In life, when somebody tells you, yeah, I just don't think I've got the time to do that this weekend. I'm like, no, my other stuff that I'm doing this weekend is more important than that thing that you want me to do this weekend. It's not about time, yet that's our ultimate go-to, especially during COVID. We got nothing but time, right, brother? So the, yeah. the, the point is, the point is, the time is there, the priorities are not. When companies embrace the Ask You Answer and they become that Wikipedia of their space, that go-to most trusted voice of their space, and they have that in-house, let's say, content manager that's like that journalist on staff that's interviewing the team members and getting out that information that's in their head and getting it on the screen. What happens after a year, Nick, is really interesting. They always say, gosh, I can't believe I was even debating this expense a year ago because it's brought in 10x, 15x, 50x what we've put into it. That's what all of them say when they follow the plan. But this is also why many companies never become thought leaders. It's because they want it tomorrow. They'd rather just, you know, throw spaghetti at the wall and hope that it sticks, right? (laughs) Now, let me just do a really aggressive paid keyword campaign, which ends the second you stop spending money on it. Whereas if you have a great content production campaign, not only is it the gift that keeps on giving for years and years, literally, but you know every single great piece of content, that's another tool in the toolbox of your sales team to be able to combat the questions, worries, concerns of the buyers. Because everything that you're producing is based on those buyer concerns anyway. So it's perfectly aligned. You want to align sales and marketing? Do they ask you answer? Get sales involved. That's how it works. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. I love that. 
Is it important to not just talk about your, your Facebook version of your business? And what I mean by that is somebody pulls up their resume and say, hey, look how cool I am. Look all the stuff that I've accomplished and, yeah. and not show potentially the other side, which is the weaknesses or the, the things that they should improve. Or This goes back to the obsession word, right, yeah. Nick? Right? So in the book, we talk about, regardless of the type of business you are, there's five fundamental subjects that every buyer researches, call them the big five in the book. And the, those five main subjects are, are cost questions, problems or negative-based questions, comparison-based questions, reviews, and best. So if somebody is listening to this, think about all the times you search for reviews or best or versus slash comparisons or problems with or negatives of or cost of. So these are the big five. And those subjects, if addressed, they will make you that trusted voice because it's no different than you take me as a pool guy. One of the questions I used to get all the time was, Marcus, be honest, what are the problems with the fiberglass pool? So I had a choice. I could either address it or I could just push that elephant to the corner of the room and hope they didn't notice. Like, <laughs> come on. Who's not? If they talked with anybody, if they did any research, they might hear there's, there's potential problems with the fiberglass pool. Just like there's problems with the concrete pool. There's problems with the vinyl pool. Everybody wants to know. Here's what's interesting, Nick. The moment we get serious about buying something, we start to research what could go wrong. How could it blow up in our face? What are the negatives? What are the issues? You don't research problems with fiberglass pools if you don't want a fiberglass pool. You yeah. only research it if you want it. And so we produced that piece of content and that article literally because we have advanced analytics made us millions. I've got a metal roofing manufacturer that I've worked with for a few years, a client of mine. And one of the first piece of content they put out there was five problems with metal roofs, right? Wow. And you say, it's a metal roofing uh, manufacturer. All they make is metal roofs. And they're talking about the problems with it. And you're like, oh, that's pretty niche. And after, uh, I think it was after a year and a half that that one video that they produced on the problems of the metal roof had a quarter of a million views 18 months in. Yeah, people are researching it, brother. You better believe it. And so once again, you can either own it or not. Now, the other side of that too is most people are used to online companies only talking about, to your point, their Facebook life, and I was bragging about why they're awesome, why they're good, what makes them great. But the moment you say, okay, fiberglass pools may or may not be a great fit for you. So what this article or what this video is going to do, it's going to explain to you clearly the pros and the cons. And hopefully by the end, you'll have a great sense as to which is the best fit for you. All of a sudden you're saying, oh my gosh, nobody's ever spoken to me like that before. Like this company, they actually have my best interests at heart. Everything I learned about pools, I have now learned from them, right? And so do you say that in your messaging, in your content, your copy right now? Just like every single company that's listening to this should have a section on their website that talks about who they're not a good fit for. Why? Because the moment you say who you're not a good fit for is the moment you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for. Yet, I guarantee you, Nick, we had 100 companies listen to this right now. 99 of them haven't talked about who they're not a good fit for on their website. That's what separates you. That's what makes you that voice of trust. And they will continue to come back to you or refer business to you. Either way you win. Either, Either way, you, way win. you win. And if you're not a good fit, yay. You just save your sales team time. You save the customer time. The morale is higher. You don't get in bed with somebody that's clearly not a good option. But I thought, I thought, no, 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 no. There's no but I thoughts because you already told them what it was and what it wasn't. That's the idea. 
I love the fact that you, what you guys did is you with, with uh, your fiberglass pool company, you went on less sales calls and made more money because you educated the buyer prior to your first call. Can you explain that? Yeah, we became obsessive about it. And it really started one year I was looking at everybody that filled out a form and said, I want to get a quote. And I divided them into two groups. One group had filled out the form and bought a pool. So they said, I want to get a quote and they ended up buying. One group filled out the form and they got a quote, but they didn't buy. So I said, what is the fundamental difference between these groups? Like their behavior on the site. I was looking for patterns. What I found was really astonishing that if somebody read 30 or more pages of the website, they would buy 80% of the time. If it was less than that, the closing rates were about 25%, which was normal for the industry. So in the pool industry, one out of four generally, if you meet with buy. So I could take that from one out of four to four out of five. All I had to do was ensure that they read 30 pieces of our content. So we instituted what I refer to today when I teach sales teams today as assignment selling. Assignment selling is the process of taking content, especially the big five stuff, stuff that the buyer actually wants to know, and being very intentional about it in the sales process. So let me give you a simple example of that, Nick. Let's say, I don't know, let's say you, you're a marine dealership. You own a, you sell boats, right? Somebody calls you up and says, hey, Nick, I'm looking at coming in this Saturday. And you say, yeah, what time are you going to be here? And they're like, uh, 10 o'clock. And you're like, okay, 10 o'clock. What a waste. Instead of doing that, Nick calls and says, yo, Marcus, you got that one model in stock? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, hey, can I come in this Saturday and take a look at it? Yeah, what time? 10 o'clock. Great. Now, listen, before you come in, Nick, I know you've got a bunch of questions about that particular model. And because this is your first time buying a boat, you probably have some other concerns as well. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you a guide that's going to address all those major questions that you have about purchasing a boat. It's going to really help you so as to not make a mistake. Furthermore, I'm going to send you a video that fully shows this model that you're looking at and comparing it versus some other ones that you may consider as well. This way, our time together is going to be much more fruitful when you come into the store on Saturday. Nick, will you take the time to do these things before our appointment? And Nick says, yes. And now all of a sudden, bam, he or the chances of him buying are dramatically greater. It's the same with pools. It's the same with services. It doesn't change. So if you're listening to this, you're not the exception because I have taught this process all over the world. We want to see, yes, my content is a tool. The problem is too often the sales team doesn't even know the content exists that the marketing team is producing and the sales team has never been taught how to integrate that into the sales process. So if they get taught that and they're very aware of what that content is, you want to talk about a party, Nick, they can rock and roll. But you guys just don't stop there. You don't just say, hey, look at this. I'm going to send you some information. From my understanding, you make sure you follow up the day before to see that yeah, they've actually pool company, accomplished I do that. it, which is pretty bold. But if they don't take the time to read those 30 pieces of content, the probability that they're, not, that they're willing to buy or that they're an educated buyer goes down. Yeah, so you make a great point. So it used to be that you know, I would give somebody the assignment and I would follow up with them day of and say, hey, confirm our appointment. Yeah, confirm you did your homework. And sometimes they would say yes, sometimes they say no. And so I would go out on the appointment no matter what. And I found after six months, I tracked all the ones that didn't do their homework that bought. And the number that bought 
was zero. Mm. And I said, oh my, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? So I was basically going out and practicing sales, not doing sales. <laughs> and so I said, well, this is basically the dumbest thing ever. So yeah. why don't we just allow the law, simple laws of mathematics to work in our favor? So we would call the person, confirm, okay, once, make sure you're still on. Want to make sure you did the homework. They said, no. We'd say, okay, well, if you haven't done the homework, our time together is not going to be as fruitful. And there's a much greater chance of you making a mistake. And so we'll go ahead and we'll delay the meeting. And then people would either get upset and say, screw you. Or they would say, all right, all right, all right I'll do the homework. Either way, you've saved everybody time, effort, energy, and money. Like I said, this, if done right, is one of the most powerful sales tools in the world. I mean, I, be, I, I do believe content is, is the greatest trust building and sales tool in the world because when it's done right, again, that's always the caveat, it allows the buyer to do it on their terms. And that's what every single buyer today wants. They want to do it, the buying process on their terms. I would 100% agree to that. So when it comes to educating the buyer, how important is video? When it comes to educating that buyer. Yeah, that's why I came out with that book that you told me in the, in the pre-call that you're reading, which is the visual sale. And, you know, for a couple thousand years, we, we, there's been that phrase, seeing is believing. And it's never more true than it is right now. We need to show it. We can't just tell it. Showing it is the great divider, right? Because everybody can say it. Everybody can say it's our people that make us different. <laughs> All right. It's like, well, what does that really mean? Until I see your people, I don't really know that. I mean, I go to Chick-fil-A, I interact with those people, so I know they're different. But your company, I don't know, some B2B service, whatever. I don't know that you're different until you show me your people. So anything that we claim, anything that we state, we should create a video about the thing. This is still really a blue ocean in most industries. Most companies don't take video seriously. They say they do. They do not. Definitively, most don't have a full-time videographer on staff. They should, right? And so that's where you should strive towards if you're a small business is, is having a full-time videographer on staff. I own three companies. All three have at least one full-time videographer. You know, and that's because we're all media companies, whether we like it or not. And that's where the world is headed and this is the tide that's rising. And so you can either, you can either get on board or you're going to get left behind. I'm, I'm just speaking in terms of realities because I believe that's the only way to communicate very directly and honestly. It doesn't matter if you or I like video, Nick. It doesn't matter if we're comfortable on video. Our buyers don't care. What they care about is, can I see it so that I can be comfortable enough to give you my money for it? That's it. Yeah. It's such a thoughtful conversation that takes time at the customer's right time. So how are you educating them through that process, which we've yeah. talked about through this entire podcast? So Marcus, I wrap up every, every podcast with two questions. And it's what book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is if you could leave a note to all the customer service and customer experience professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m. <laughs> what would it say? So I think the best book on customer experience I've read in the last year is Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. I am a little bit biased there because he's a very good friend. Really beautiful book. Uh, you should read it. You should read it for those that are listening. 
And if I had to give you any advice, it always to me goes back to, and somebody might say, is that customer experience? I'm like, yes. It's never our goal. It shouldn't be our goal to sound smart. It should only be our goal to be understood. And if that's your goal, the connection that you're going to be able to achieve with your audience and the experience that they're going to have because of it will be absolutely exceptional. And some sound advice. I appreciate that. Marcus, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? You can reach out to me, Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn because that's where I live in terms of social media. Won't really find me many other places. So LinkedIn is my home. I post one great post there a day. So make sure you follow me there. Nick, it has really been a tremendous pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. To my listeners, I recommend you go out there and buy his book, They Ask You Answer. And then the other one, The Visual Sale, which is equally as awesome. And uh, Marcus, I appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.